Hey, hello again, everyone. Thanks for tuning in and welcome back as we continue in our third season. My name is Jeff Kwame. I'm your host, the executive director of the CCB. And on behalf of the board of directors and the staff of the Connecticut Certification Board, I'd like to welcome you to this very special, unusual episode of, of Scope of Practice. Uh, it was the early morning, about 4 a.m. on June 13, 1990, when there was a knock at my door. Uh, it was a local police officer who entered and suggested I sit down. Almost instinctively, I asked him, how did it happen? The officer looked surprised. I was told my older brother was found dead in his apartment from what appeared to be an overdose, which was later confirmed by the medical examiner. He wasn't quite 30. Fast forward almost 28 years later, I was informed that his only daughter, a few months shy of 32 years old, was also found dead in a local motel. Cause of death, overdose. Add in a family history of trauma and mental illness, including my own, and we would all certainly check a lot of boxes if you asked what presented problems were if we entered care. Uh, on October 4th, 2016, my guest received the news that his oldest son, Seth, had passed away from a heroin overdose. Through conversations with him, I also learned that his wife had died due to complications related to chronic alcohol use and that he himself has struggled, struggled with symptoms of mental illness. It was as if the fabled daughters of Zeus, the fates from Greek mythology, had tied our strings together in the early spring of this year. Perhaps we were destined to connect. Our discussion today is not about grief, sadness, or despair, however. As he told his family on that horrible day, we have two roads to go down one of anger, hatred, and despair, or a road of hope and inspiration. I'm choosing the second, and I hope you would join me. Jeffrey Johnston was born in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. He's the president and co-owner of Premier Investments of Iowa, a wealth management firm in his hometown of Cedar Rapids. He graduated from the University of Northern Iowa with a degree in finance and hosted Premier Financial Hour Radio show on which is aired for 11 years on news radio, 600 WMT in Easter, Eastern Iowa. After the death of his oldest son, Seth, in 2016, he became an advocate for substance abuse and addiction care and recovery. Shortly after, he joined the board of the Area Substance Abuse Council in Iowa. Jeffrey frequently speaks for groups, schools, and organizations to spread awareness about substance use and abuse. In 2020, he founded Choices Network Limited, a nonprofit designed to continue fundraising and awareness experts. Hope and inspiration are some of the key components of what our guest is undertaking as we speak. The Living Undeterred Tour is a national movement which stops in different states to bring awareness of substance use and mental health disorders to our communities and to raise money and to fight stigma. Each stop has brave people from the community who are willing to put a face on these disorders and to say that we are not ashamed. The tour stops here in Connecticut on Saturday, July 2nd at the University of Bridgeport with a special welcome to all from Bridgeport Mayor Joseph Gannon. From one Jeff to another, welcome to the program, and I look forward to welcoming you to Connecticut in a couple of weeks. Yeah, Jeff, I am. I'm so excited, and I'm honored and humbled at the same time to be able to have this conversation with you and for the people that are listening to this. You know, mental health is probably the number one googled word today on the internet, and I would. I used to say a day doesn't go by. Now I say an hour doesn't go by, where I meet somebody that through vulnerability and connection that we can share stories and we can relate to each other at a human, you know, an intimate human level and, and try to get, find support, you know, help people navigate through the complexities of being a human being today. Um, 
And today specifically, it seems like there's a lot of barriers to uh, improving or uh, increasing our mental our, our well-being, such as social media, you know, things like that, that, that seem to be an impediment that uh, keeps people from moving on. But yeah, I, I'm no clinician, Jeff. I, I, I'm, I'm just a dad from Iowa that got thrust into this mental health world through watching my 16-year-old struggle, battle, fight for seven years until he lost his life to fentanyl poisoning. And then soon watched my wife through the grief of losing a child and some of her own personal issues that she had not been able to resolve, uh, lost her life to alcohol. So here I am today at 56 with two boys. And, you know, I like to believe I'm in the best place I've ever been emotionally and spiritually and physically in my life, but it's taken a lot of work. So yeah, you and I are going to talk about it quite a bit today. I am so stoked to come to Bridgeport. Um, it's always been the East Coast is somewhere I, I can honestly say I've not spent a lot of my time, uh, my life on. And I'm really excited to take the boys to Gettysburg and some of these other places, uh, some of the history of the United States. Um, I'm super excited. You know, for me, just listening to you and, and talking about your boys, and I know that they're accompanying you on a tour. Mm -hmm. To me, it's so important that we're having these conversations with young people um, so that they can turn the tide. We can stop the dehumanization of individuals. When we get young people involved and they're passing that information on to their peers, it's just so important. Yeah, you know, you, we talk about stigmas and and I'm I'm constantly like you are, Jeff, on the phone and doing Zoom meetings. And there's this term out there about raising awareness, you know, and I'm. I've only been in this five or six years. I, I, mental health was not something I, I was a financial guy, so I didn't have any interest in mental health. Um, and I didn't really have a lot of problems other than being an alcoholic and a compulsive gambler, but I didn't really understand that was mental health. Um, but I am really more focused on bringing attention to versus raising awareness. And here's the wholesale difference. Raising awareness tends to be more in your face, more, here's my story, you know, a little more uh, pushy. And that seems to be the society we're in today. You know, everything's in, in our face. Whereas bringing attention to is a psychologically different way to view this issue. And so if I can do a good job explaining and showing people how to live an intentional life through what I've been through, and, and get them, I don't want to say lure them in, but bring attention to these issues, I think we can be a lot more effective. And I'll give you a, the best example is when you, try to, when you try to get somebody to go to rehab, right? We know that doesn't work, right? Because we're trying to get them to do something they don't want to do. But if we can get that person to do that themselves, bring attention to themselves to get this, get this process going... I think we can be a lot more effective. So for me, it's my pivot point was about six months ago when I, everybody's out there bringing awareness, everyone's out there raising awareness. And I'm like, well, you think these numbers would be going in the other direction then? You know, you think the 800 Americans a day dying by overdose, suicide, and alcohol, you think that would go to 700 in a couple of years or 500, but it's not, it's going the other direction. So raising awareness isn't working. It's, I'm certainly not going to suggest people stop doing it, 
but we need to start bringing attention to, we need to start getting action, getting things that can be implemented, you know, and really start getting under the hood. Yeah, you're you're uh, preaching to the choir because I've been. Oh, I know I am. That's why. That's why you and I hooked up. Yeah, awareness doesn't really, you know, is the first step. But great, people are aware that about the overdose deaths and about the struggles with mental illness and suicides. But the question is, what are we doing about it? Mm -hmm. And I think we have to do something. Um, and, And you know, we have to start by talking about it, having conversations instead of just saying, oh, I know it's out there. And I think Mm -hmm. that's what you're doing with this tour. Uh, And the value of that is immeasurable. Yeah. Let me tell you, for the people listening, why they want to attend this tour and kind of what's the takeaway for them. You know, initially I thought about doing an opioid awareness tour, Jeff. That's what I thought, because that's Mm -hmm. what took my son. And then I realized that the scope of this was so much larger and that if I'm going to buy an RV and drive around the country for 95 days with my boys and have a documentary team with us and and really try to move the needle, just focusing on opioid overdose or poisonings, I just felt like I felt like there's a bigger story here. So then we shifted gear. We made this the Living Undeterred U.S. Tour and Mental Health Initiative. So that's what this is really about. But the other thing is I had people asking me, you know, Jeff, when you're around the country and you're lecturing and you're explaining and I said, whoa, 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 (laughs) you're you're missing the boat here. I am not an expert. I'm not lecturing to anybody. I am an explorer. This is an exploration. This this is to me, I I, want to go out and I want to meet people like you that that have forgotten far more than I'll ever know in my life on this topic. And if I can connect all these people that are clinical experts, the real life experts, which I consider my life, my, my, I guess what I'm an expert in is real life experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, if I can take that approach as an explorer of ideas, then when this tour gets done, the question I ask people is how much are you willing to pay to get your mental health house in order? And I'm going to have ideas for people that are actionable. And that's, that's what this tour is really about is really, really moving the needle. And I, I reached a point, Jeff, where I was sitting on social media every day, like a lot of us sharing, liking, posting videos and little comments. And I thought I got to do more, man. I just, in my heart, I don't want to write another book right now. Although I'm, I am in, in the beginning of another book, but it's like, what can I really do to shake this up? Well, instead of getting people to come to my podcast, I'm just going to go drive around the United States and go to theirs. And so we're going to be rolling into Bridgeport on July 2nd, mm-hmm. and I'll give you a Reader's Digest version of what people should expect. The event is basically anywhere from two to four hours is what we're looking at. So when I come into town in the RV, we're, we're partnering up with nonprofit organizations. That's a, that's our main thing because the goal is to split the money that we raise 50% with the local nonprofits that work with us. And then 50% into my nonprofit, the choices network. And what we want to do is be able to take the, take the RV, take the national spotlight that we're going to have and put it on the local organizations. So when I come into Bridgeport, I'll be meeting with the nonprofits in that area and put the spotlight on them. And then I'm going to speak for maybe 45 minutes. So we're going to be at um, the University uh, of Bridgeport. 
Yep, we're going to be at the University of Bridgeport. So I'll speak for about partners throughout this whole process. Oh yeah, the, we're finding more universities getting really ahead of this mental health because right now, uh, if you look at you know the college student uh, suicide rates just on those alone, the highest they've ever been. You know, I think there's been six Division One athletes that have taken their lives this year, uh, which we've never even remotely have near those numbers. But anyway, so I speak for about 45 minutes. Uh, my talk is called Living Undeterred, Better, Not Bitter. It's an inspirational talk uh, using our story and, and how good came from bad. And then uh, we open it up for uh, an advocate. Maybe it's yourself. I'm not sure who's going to speak for maybe 10 or 15 minutes after I speak. So that's like the first hour. Mm -hmm. And then the second hour is probably the most exciting. And that's the panel discussion, Jeff. And that's where you'll be on it. I'll be on it. You'll handpick or somebody will find some other uh, advocates. And that's like that town hall feel. You know, we open it up to questions. We roll up the sleeves. We cry. We laugh. We tell stories. And we try to get really into the local concerns. You know, uh, the Bridgeport, Connecticut, what's going on in your community? Well, what's more prevalent? Is it is it fentanyl overdose or is it suicide? Um, you know, it's not all the same in every community. And um, get some input from the town, get some input from the, the locals. And then after that, we network. I'll have a book signing. Um, any other advocates that have books, they're welcome to set up booths uh, and do their thing. And uh, then we pack up the RV, Jeff, and we head off to... Um, after you guys, we have two days off and then we go to New Jersey. So spend some time on the Jersey shore soaking up the sun. <laughs> oh, I tell you, you know, the first stage we had got called short because my dad uh, fell gravely ill. And I'm actually heading to the ICU after I get off with you. But I, I did regret that I didn't take more days off. We, we, we went like one stop, one stop, one stop, one stop. And it was great. But my two boys are 21 and 18. And I need to sprinkle in some more days off to see the United States. And that's really what this is about. You know, they've lost a brother and they've lost a mom. And the last thing I want to do is drag them around and have them be mental health advocates and not be kids, you know, right. not, not, not be young men. And um, there's a time and a place for that, but they're only going to be kids once, you know. You know, and I think it's such a valuable experience for them to learn about different people around the country. Uh, you know, I can talk a little bit about who's going to be there at Bridgeport, and I think to me it's really exciting. Our advocate, uh, we're going to have a welcome from the mayor of Bridgeport, which is Joe Gannam, which is Connecticut's largest city. Um, our advocate is a, a, a woman named uh, Yvette Benilla, who uh, has a history, her, and she can tell it better than I could, I was a pretty amazing woman who has a history of suicidal thought and behavior, who now works mm. with organizations to help reduce the number of suicides. So she gets to be a part of it, our panel. Um, I'm I'm going to do something different for me, and I'm going to sit on the panel and actually talk about my mental health experiences. It's not something I'm really good at, but I, uh, I want to take that risk. Um, sure. Annette Diaz, who is a, a, another amazing woman, uh, who will talk about uh, her experiences, and Angela Anderson, who works in the field, is a student at the University of Bridgeport, a graduate student, and is also um, – really looking forward to being a part of uh, of the panel so what you're seeing are people from our community mm -hmm. uh, from you know from the state of connecticut that have these issues in connecticut we understand they exist but you know how we're looked at from around the country <laughs> people assume that we're the these rich 
yuppie types and although they exist um uh, it, it's that's more of a new york city set but you know we're just a bunch of average folks um with three of the 10 poorest cities in the country inside our borders so the issues wow. that come with poverty uh, that's often forgotten, really tie in uh, nicely to what we're doing. And, and University of Bridgeport is in a tremendously underserved area. So this will help their community as well and their students. Yeah, you mentioned, um, you know, mental health doesn't discriminate, as you well know. And, you know, you you don't have to go very far to see people like Anthony Bourdain, who hung himself, you know, in the filming of his No Reservations in in France. I write about that in my book and Robin Williams. And, you know, it just it seems like that you could have what you what is perceived by most people as success, yet be, you know, be a miserable person. But I had a poll question today on social media that I'm interested to see how the results are coming in. But my poll question was, if you could have complete mastery over one thing, but you would be poor in the others what would you choose? And it was finances, your appearance, your health, mental health, or fame. So finances, appearance, mental health, or fame, what would you choose and why? And you know, for me, it'd be mental health because the way I think about it, Jeff, is if you had the other three, but you didn't have mental health, that's like building a million dollar house on sand you know, or on the water. It's like, you have to have your mental health house in order before anything else can be of value and benefit to you. And if anyone has an issue with that or disagrees with that, I'd like to understand their position where fame or money would be more important than your mental health. I, I just, I, I, I just don't see how that can be possible. So um, I think in our pursuit of it, of human beings trying to accomplish things in our life, let's not forget about the foundation that everything is built on. And that's our mental health. And then it goes back to what is mental health? And you and I could talk about what are the foundations of a, of a good mental health? You know, that, that's another whole debate. You know, I think those would be interesting conversations. I know that in my position, I've been very lucky to meet people with fame Mm -hmm. and people with money who, uh, have had their struggles in the past. And when you're able to talk to them, they are the the ones that I've met are the mm-hmm. most humble people and the fame never comes into it other than how fame may have helped create a problem. Christopher mm-hmm. Lawford, uh, the son of Peter Lawford, had, had substance use disorders and mental health disorders. And he had talked about being a part of the Kennedy family was actually harmful because nobody, everybody looked the other way. Nobody confronted his issue. And so right. he thought it was, you grow up thinking it's okay to do these things um, rather yeah. than the average person who has some consequences and can learn from those. And I thought that was fascinating to hear. And, and you know, uh, rest in peace, Christopher was just one of the nicest guys that I've met. But yeah, people want overall health and mental health is a part of that. Yeah, and I think part of what this whole tour is, is, I'd like to sit down after the tour and look at my notes because I'm taking notes at every stop and figure out how I can fill these voids, how I can fill these gaps. Because it seems to me if the, and I know this is kind of becoming a cliche now, but if the opposite of addiction is connection, uh, which I think, you know, Yohan Harry said that on one of his Ted talks. And then now that, now that's kind of being a, 
almost overused phrase. But if that is a true statement, then I think what we're doing with the tour, we're onto something because I'm really truly, you know, genuinely trying to connect people. Um, and, and I think that if I keep that focus and not make this about me, but make it about we, you know, this is not a Jeff Johnston story. This isn't about my triumph over tragedy, although my story can help people relate to their story. This is certainly more about you and about Bridgeport and about the mayor and about all the other advocates and that student. You know, I, I can't wait to meet her. I cannot wait to meet her. I'm just, I'm anticipating the conversation I can have with her, maybe get her on my podcast, you know, and get kids really leaning into this mental health, not as something to avoid, Jeff. I think that's, boy, again, I think we're really as a society kind of dropping the ball on how we're presenting this to our youth, you know, mental toughness and fight through things. It's like, nah, I, you know, I, I'm not sure if, if kids are prepared to do that yet especially the younger ones, the 12, 13, and 14. I don't know if they have mental toughness yet. And if they do, it's probably pretty rare. And it was probably something that was nurture for, I mean, um, nature for them. They were born with it. Um, but for the rest of us that struggle with that, leaning into mental health as an opportunity, I not to deviate, but someone yesterday reached out to me and said, you know, Jeff, I'm having survivor's guilt. I'm having survivor's guilt. You know, my, my son died. I tried to take my life. I didn't die. And I feel like I have survivor's guilt. And I said, let's take the word guilt and replace it with opportunity and see what happens. Just stop telling yourself or telling anybody you have survivor's guilt. All you got to do is take that word out and put up. Now, now you have survivor's opportunity and your mindset changes immediately. Same problem. Same everything. You're just reframing it differently. So I, th I think the way that we are approaching some of these things are no more complicated than just the way we reframe it to ourselves, the story we tell ourselves, you know? Yeah, self-talk and the things we tell ourselves are very important in how we respond and react to things. You know, you had mentioned connection, and I know it sounds cliche, but it's true. And I'm going to go full out nerd on you for a second. And see, <laughs> the research in the field shows that the most effective thing that caretakers bring to the table is the relationship with the person that they're serving. It works mm -hmm. better twice as well about as whatever technique you use, whatever your education is, it's that connection person hmm. to person. So why wouldn't that also translate to people that you meet in your daily life, a connection to somebody, mm -hmm. uh, a, a relationship changes, can change the world and does. Um, f for me, it was understanding I'm not alone. Yeah. Yeah. Took a lot of the load off of my shoulders. Hey, I'm, I'm not the only one dealing with this. I can ask others. I can learn from others. Uh, and it, it gave me a position somewhere where I belong. It's not really a community you want to be a part of, right? but when you're in it, you enjoy, you, you make the most of it. Well, I think, yeah, you're, you're just so spot on there, Jeff. I think what happens in reality is that we, we tend to live in a bubble and we think of ourselves in a canoe paddling against the current upstream by ourselves. And that's how we kind of run through life is, you know, it, it's kind of, it's us looking out, like we're the center of everything. Every time we move, we're in the center of everything. And the reality is, especially things like meditation has, has taught me, has shown me 
that we aren't the center of everything. And to kind of have the ability to, to look at yourself, not as a narcissist, but look at yourself in a way that you're just part of nature. You know, we're just here for a very short period of time. And we spend an inordinate amount of time wasted on things like worry and regret and guilt and these, these emotions that are called negative emotions, and they are, and they actually can be good in the short term. Uh, many great business ideas have been born out of somebody being jealous over somebody. So all those negative emotions that kids and adults have um, are fine. We just don't want them to be real long. And so when we tell kids mental toughness, don't do this, don't do that, don't, you know, I don't know if that's the correct way we need to be doing this. Maybe we tell kids, hey, it's okay to cry your ass off or sorry, I just swore, but yeah, it's okay. maybe it's okay. Maybe it's okay to cry. Maybe it's okay to go up to a man and say, Hey, I, I love you too, bud. You know, I, I, I really, I tell men, I love them all day long and it makes me feel really good because that's something that men don't do well to show their emotions and they don't cry and, and crying has saved my life. And so I think when we go back to kids again, specifically with kids and really trying to get them to figure out a way to adapt and evolve not repress, not, you know, again, mental toughness, I think is almost a dying term anymore. That's why I like living undeterred because living undeterred isn't toughness. It's probably more courage. It's more facing your, your fears and your anxieties and not trying to go around them. You know, the quickest way through anything is right through it. Right. Yeah, you know, and, and, I agree with you wholeheartedly about the difficulty men have that, you know, that we have as men expressing our emotions mm-hmm. um, and being genuine. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that we should pass on to the younger generation is be yourself, be who you mm-hmm. are. Um, and we have to work with others around us. So we have to accept people for who they are as well. So it's a, it's a double-sided coin. We have to be more genuine, but we have to accept the genuineness of others. You know, one, one little exercise I did with my boys one time that I was talking about this on an interview yesterday with kids specifically, we'll say, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 is, you know, when they're going through a tough time, let's say they had a relationship that didn't go well, or they got, they got bullied or a, a, a class a test didn't go well. They got a D where they thought they should have got a C or a B. And so I was sat on my boys one time, I was talking to my older son, it was Ian, I think he was 12 and Roman was 10. And I said, you know, Ian, do you remember that time in third grade when you got that really bad score on that test? Do you remember how bad you felt? And I know Ian's an honest kid. And he, he looked at me and he said, no, dad, I don't, I don't remember. And I said, that's my point. That's my point. You're 12 now, and I'm talking about something in third grade. You don't remember it. Well, when you're 30, you're not going to remember things that happened when you're 18. Heck, when you're 25, you won't. So have the ability to look long-term on short-term problems. And what seems like the end of the world today, you probably won't even remember any of it. And there was a gentleman I met the other day that said, I guess Golden Gate Bridge has a net or something on parts of it to keep suicide uh, people from trying to kill themselves. And those people that have fallen in that, that have lived have always come back almost hundred percent of the time and said, the moment I took that step, I regretted it, but they lived. And so it got, got me thinking about, well, maybe there's a way, there's a story in that, that we can talk to kids about the fact that you're not going to remember 
what's most traumatic for you today. And if you do decide to take your life, remember 100% of the people that got caught in that net, they regretted it. I mean, there's something about that story that's powerful. And I've never, I've had one brush with suicide in my life and that was over Christmas. And I think I told you that when you were on my yeah. podcast and it was horrifying. It was absolute. I missed her living undeterred, right? I have an RV, I'm driving around the country, but I almost took my life. So it can happen to anybody. It happens fast. And um, there's, there's, there's value in stories. And I think, especially for kids, if they know that, hey, this guy that is doing all this work, he's not Superman. He's, he's just as human as we are. We, we all bleed the same way. I think there's something in that, you know? Yeah, and I think when you talked about that we become the focus of our own lives and we see things from our own perspective, oftentimes we we think that that's the only perspective. So hearing mm. somebody else's story says, oh, similar issues maybe, but completely mm -hmm. different response and how they resolve the issue for themselves. Like, yeah. And I think that's important. One of the things that I, I fight for in this field is for individuals with lived experience, your experience is very unique to you. We have to be accepting of other people's experiences and what they did because every person is different. So there's not what my friend Dr. Bob Lynn calls uh, a fallacy of attribution. The way we respond to everything is how everybody else should. That we mm. have to learn from others and say people are unique and everybody has a different solution and respect that. And I think that's, uh, especially with children and adolescents, where their peer group is the most important thing. Um, they want to respond just like their friends. They want to be that person just like their friends. Although I would have denied that <laughs> when I was 15 or 16, but it's 100% true. I'm aware of that now. You're, you're, you're so accurate in that statement about uniqueness, because if you think of how we can arm people with the ability to make better choices under difficult situations. Think of the metaphor. There's plenty of metaphors, but this is one I like to use when I speak is you have a quiver on, on your, on your back. And as you go through life, you're arming it with arrows and you, there's a beast out there and that beast is alcoholism or it's drugs or it's, you know, sex abuse or, or sex addiction, or it's gambling or it's mental health, whatever the beast is out there. And I know, I know someone said, you know, there's something in the Bible similar to this and, and, you know, and that may be, but the reality is for me, it's like, I want to start arming as many arrows as I can. And one arrow's meditation, one arrow's writing a book, one arrow's being on your podcast, one arrow's coming to Bridgeport, one arrow's meeting that student, Annette, you know, and over my lifetime, I'm going to have this huge freaking quiver overflowing with arrows. So when any of these beasts come at me, I can, I can almost randomly pull one out and, and shoot it. I may not kill it, but I'll wing it enough for me to get away for the time being. And I think if we can, we as in humans can, can think of arming ourselves. And I think what happens, Jeff, in this business, I hate to say business, but on this mental health advocacy fence I'm on, so many people think they have the answers and you see it on social media all the time. Well, here's what we, we need to do harm reduction, hundred percent. There's no other way around it. Or we need to do, have stronger laws, put these drug dealers in prison, or we need to shut the borders. And once we do the borders, everything goes away. We need to destroy China. It's like everybody has this one answer to all these 
problems that the goalposts are literally shifting day to day. We have a moving target we have to hit. So I think instead of trying to do that, maybe we just think think of, okay, I can't do anything with the borders. I can't stop China. I can't, I can't change the laws. Maybe I can, but it's difficult. But I certainly can focus on what I do every day. I certainly can control every action and decision and every word that comes out of my mouth. I control that. Everything that goes in my mouth and comes out of my mouth, I control. And maybe we spent less time worrying about all the things we can't control and just spend the time on that, you know, that bubble that we're in, the things that we can control. Maybe just maybe you, the individual with your unique story can get through this thing called life. Yeah, we have a smorgasbord of opportunities um, when we learn from others and incorporate a little bit of that and a little of this. When I first started doing trainings uh, in this field, you know, uh, 12, 13 years ago, um, an individual told me, when you go to a training and you see something that works, steal it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, you know, uh, and so now I, I learned, oh, I, I can do a little bit of this person. I can bring in a little bit of this, depending on who I'm speaking to. So you can reach the folks that are there um, rather than just having one style, one way to do things. So I think you're right. It's it's we have to be the same moving target. Um, uh, we have to be able to adapt to different situations. And it's very difficult to do um, because our society you know, we're so competitive. It's it's such a competitive society that it's it's hard to look at the successes of others for many and say, there's there's something in there that I can use. It's there's jealousy associated with that success. I was asked by a TV station the other day. I had a reporter was kind of like, I call it a trap question. And you I'm sure you get these asked too, Jeff, where I felt like it was kind of an unanswerable question. So like almost they were asking me this question to see what I would say so they could kind of counter like with an argument. And um, they asked me this question, two-part question, actually. What question are you trying to answer on your tour, Jeff? And what do you, what's your objective? What are you really trying to do? And, you know, the easy question, the easy answer to me would have been this long three-minute rhetorical, all these stigmas and awareness, blah, 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 blah. Here's, here's what I say now anytime anyone asks me that question. If what we were doing was working, we wouldn't be doing the tour. And that's all I have to say when someone says, what are you trying to do, Jeff? What's your objective? What's your agenda? What question are you trying to answer? And it's the same answer now I'm going to make all the way through as, as long as I'm doing this, is if what we were doing was working, I wouldn't have bought an RV. I wouldn't have quit my job. I wouldn't have taken 95 days this summer. I wouldn't have put all my own personal money into this project. You know, I, I would I wouldn't have of of written a book. I've written a done wouldn't have done the podcast if all this stuff was working, and the eight hundred a day that are dying went down to seven. Then, well, knowing me, I'd probably still do it. But <laughs> the reality is, but the problem is, I know it's going to be eight fifty. It's going to be nine hundred. It's going to be a thousand. I mean, I told you, Jeff, when my son Seth died, forty six thousand Americans died from fentanyl poisoning. It's a hundred and ten thousand. Yeah. six years from 46 to 110 it's not working <laughs> whatever we are doing is simply not and anyone can tell me there i'm sure there's little success stories sprinkled in throughout the country and i'm trying to find those but collectively as a whole it ain't working 
It ain't working. So do we just break the system and rebuild it? I don't know. Uh, there is a uh, physician in Minnesota who's, who I've had on this podcast who says we need to bulldoze the system. And if that doesn't work, hand grenades work nice, too. <laughs> um, and he says it with yeah. a straight face. Yeah. But I, uh, you know, as I listen to the question that people ask you, you know, my response in my head is very different than yours, but mm-hmm. with the same purpose. It's I'm not trying to answer a question. I'm trying to raise more questions that people can answer for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I mean, same idea, just different perspectives. Um, but I, I like, look, I don't know. I just know that what we're doing isn't working. We're going to, we need to talk about it more. Um, so you've got a little break from the tour. You're going to the second part. Where are you headed next? Well, I'm going to throw it up on my computer. Our, our very first stop is uh, coming up here on Monday. We're going to be in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Great and city. I- yeah, I'm super, super excited about this stop. Um, let me find it up here real quick. And um, we're going to be stopping in uh, with with Nami the or Nami. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it's pronounced. Um, we're at the uh, Trion Masonic Mas- Masonic Temple in Saint Paul, and it's actually in collaboration with the LGBTQ community Fantastic. because. Yeah, I mean, I'm so excited because my youngest son came out as gay uh, a year ago mm-hmm. and he's 18 now. And so I've really leaned into being an advocate in these areas because gay teens are five times more likely to take their lives. Yeah. And that's just suicide. I mean, depression, anxiety, everything's so much higher in that in that area. So that's our first stop. And then we had to Waukesha, Wisconsin. We have another great stop um, with Hope for a Better Tomorrow, which we're really, really excited there. And then we head off to Chicago, which I'm meeting with, uh, uh, I think it's No Stigma uh, um, Advocacy Group. And then South Bend, Indiana is really lining up to be a phenomenal stop with Leslie Wirick and um, Oaklawn uh, facilities. And then we head to Michigan with uh, a lady I just met fairly recently, Vani Woodrick, and she runs I Understand, a nonprofit uh, dedicated to her husband who took his life, but she's been just massively promoting this on social media and that's in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So, you know, and then some States, I just can't, I can't get any excitement. Um, and I'm finding out that there are really advocates like yourself that really are advocates. And then there's some, that I think that say they're advocates, but when it comes to having to really work hard, they're not really too interested in putting a lot of work into this. And, and I'm going to be doing this regardless regardless if I get support or not. And right now, the ones that have really embraced this, I am so excited, like coming to Bridgeport. I mean, you've you've been aggressive from the get-go in making this a good stop for us. And I really, really am grateful for your advocacy. Well, right now you're in the Big Ten portion of your tour. (laughs) (laughs) I am. I am. Hawkeyes, go Hawks. Huh? <laughs> okay, I was going to ask, just out of curiosity, are you a Hawkeye or Cyclone fan? <laughs> so. Well, my dad, my dad was hired by Lute Olson back in the day to be the team physician. So my dad sat on the bench from Lute Olson, George Raveling, Tom Davis, and Steve Alford. And my dad's in the Iowa Athletic Hall of Fame as well oh, no for kidding. his uh, for being the team physician for that many years. And so um, my dad has become kind of an icon or a staple in, in Hawkeye sports. And, and it's, um, you know, he's had some amazing guests come up to his room and, and visit him. And he's kind of one of the last the last generation of of uh, individuals that have been involved in the Iowa basketball program that are still around. Uh, many others have passed. And so um, it's been great to be a part of watching my dad 
you know, help kids with their, with their health. And, you know, being a doctor, my dad, I know over the years helped a lot of athletes at the university of Iowa with their mental health. It wasn't talked about now. We just talked about their health, like their ankles and their backs and their knees. And now I think a lot of team trainers and physicians, mental health now is right up there equal with their physical, physical health. Yeah, and I think the fact that it's being talked about, um, the trainers and coaches and things are paying attention to that. Uh, mm-hmm. And the athletes that have come out and said this is what's going on uh, have been incredibly helpful for letting people people know uh, that that's a real problem for individuals. And we forget that they're kids. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're you know oldest, generally twenty two years old. We know their brain is still developing. They're children. I say that as a fifty five year right. old. Right. But uh, when I was a 20, 20 year old college athlete, I thought I was the oldest guy in the world and the most mature. Uh, yeah. Many, both many of, years both of those were wrong, right? <laughs> yeah. Another thing that I've got to check and say, yeah, you were way off on that one. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking forward as well through the Bridgeport uh, date. I think it's really going to be exciting. It's a Saturday. We know it's a difficult weekend with the holiday, but I've already got people saying, hey, we want to be a part of this. Uh, and, and that excites me. And, uh, and I'm going to continue are interested, to talk about Jeff, it. They can reach us at www.livingundeterred.org. So it's www.livingundeterred.org. And then uh, my email is just jeff at livingundeterred. Uh, that's my email address, but, um, you know, obviously anybody that wants to come there and advocate, anybody wants to come there and learn, um, it's open, it's free. Uh, it's going to be a great day for the community to get together. We know people make sacrifices to go to these things, but I, I can't promise you much, but I certainly can promise you, you will walk away with it with some valuable nuggets of information, or at least a new friend or a new contact that can help you as you try to fight through your mental health challenges that we all have. Well, I look forward to seeing you there. I get you to sign my book that you, that you, that Absolutely. I that you wrote, um, it get you to sign it. And um, anything else you'd like to add before we finish up? I would just say that the, the, the sentence that we like to really um, advocate or, or embody is this purpose becomes passion when it gets personal that's our tagline for living undeterred project purpose becomes passion when it gets personal. And so we go through life struggling with meaning and purpose. And sometimes it, it's given to you at a young age, others times it's revealed later. And the very last thing is this, when you find your why in your life, you'll find your way. So I like to close every talk I do with find your why and you'll find your way. And everybody has a why Jeff, some of us have it revealed others not yet, but keep looking, keep searching. But when you do find it, those doors open and you, you'll find your meaning and purpose in your life pretty quickly. Well, if the event in Connecticut is coming up quickly, just a few weeks away. Uh, I'm getting away for a couple of days to, to, you know, recharge my batteries. And, you know, I look forward to meeting you and everybody there and saying hello to your boys. Right, we look forward to Jeff. And again, thanks for your advocacy and thanks for your support. You are very welcome. And that's going to do it for today. I'd like to thank Jeffrey Johnson, um, the Hawkeye, for <laughs> joining us today and talking about what's going on. I know we're, we're being kind of silly, but it's, it's been an important conversation. 
and I look forward to seeing people in Bridgeport at the event. And you can reach out to me uh, at my email, J-Q-U-A-M-M-E at CT Certboard, um, which is also available on our website if for more information. Thanks for listening, everybody. 